but we're going to continue our series today uh, in the book of Acts. In Acts chapters 3 through 5, our series is called Unstoppable. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus gave his disciples, before he ascended to heaven, he gave them the mission. He said, I- I'm going to send you as my witnesses throughout the world, for, starting in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we see Acts is an unfolding of that mission from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And we're seeing the gospel first in Jerusalem. And we saw that the gospel arrived to, to people that needed to hear it with great success. But today we're going to see a little change in the tone here. We're going to see some opposition. And uh, the, the, the big idea for our text today is with the mission comes opposition. But I'd like first to read uh, from Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. So follow along as I read aloud. It says this. And as they were speaking to the people, I'll pause right there. If you remember, two weeks ago we saw that Peter and John were entering into the temple. They were getting ready to do what the church was doing all the time. They were meeting in the temple. They were meeting in homes. They were preaching the good news about Jesus Christ. They were fellowshipping together, having meals together. It was a wonderful, beautiful time. And all of a sudden, this man they come across as they're walking into the temple is begging. He's lame. He's begging. And Peter and John say, hey, we don't have money to give to you, but we do have We give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. This man is healed by the power of Jesus Christ in a moment. He's leaping and praising God, and it causes a commotion. And Peter is preaching to them about how this happened, that this man was healed. So again, verse 1, as as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, They inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? That Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. (coughs) Excuse me. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called to them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have heard and excuse me, seen and heard. 
And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. What a moment. We've been seeing up to this point that the preaching of the gospel has been having great success. But in this story, as you just saw in the narrative today, the first sign of opposition is faced by the disciples of Jesus as they go out and proclaim the good news. In fact, I just read this in a commentary just the other day that from this point on, there are only three chapters remaining in the book of Acts that do not describe opposition and persecution. This book is 28 chapters long. Uh, 26 chapters, excuse me. But yet here they are and they're, and they're going along and, and every chapter, every moment is described persecution, describing opposition. And so we're going to see here, as we go through this book of Acts, we're going to see that opposition is inevitable. In fact, that's our big idea this morning. With the mission comes opposition. These disciples are being sent out on the mission of God to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. But what comes with the mission? All kinds of glory, all kinds of riches, all kinds of comfort? No, with the mission comes opposition. And we're going to look at three ways that's fleshed out in this text today. First of all, Opposition is inevitable. Opposition is inevitable. Secondly, some hearts will respond to the gospel while others will become hard or will be hard. And thirdly, allegiances to Jesus must supersede all other allegiances. Allegiance to Jesus must supersede all other allegiances. Let's, t- let's take a fir- look at the first point together. Opposition is inevitable. Again, I, I want to point you back to Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, as Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed. Greatly annoyed. Now, this, this word greatly annoyed, it's, it's pretty simple. I think you get the idea here from the English. It's, it's to be irked, provoked, ticked off. I won't use other terms. Uh, angry, uh, greatly disturbed, annoyed, obviously is what we see here in the ESV. They're greatly annoyed by what Peter and John are doing. Well, what are they doing? I mean, they're, they're here, here healing a man, and it says that they're greatly annoyed. Why? Verse 2, because, <coughs> excuse me, sorry about that. They were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Greatly annoyed. And again, opposition is inevitable. You know, sometimes we, we think that our, our preaching and proclaiming of the gospel of Jesus Christ should just come with, with great acceptance, with great openness, that people should be happy. In fact, they should congratulate us or thank us for preaching the good news of the gospel. But what we find here from the early apostles, from the disciples, is this, that they were confronted with annoyance, <laughs> They were confronted with leaders who were not pleased with them. Don't be surprised when the Christian message provokes anger from the world. Don't be surprised when the world becomes annoyed by the Christian message. Well, what was it about the message that was annoying these guys? I mean, was it a a message of hate? Was it a message of, of bigotry and prejudice? Those things I could understand. Was it a message of injustice? I could understand why they would be annoyed by hearing these men spread this message. But no, there's two things about the message that we see here. First of all, it was a supernatural message. They were proclaiming through Jesus Christ the resurrection from the dead. 
was supernatural. The ruling religious authorities, they, they were comprised of a group called the Sadducees. And if you know anything about first century Judaism, we know that the Sadducees were people that denied a future whole earth resurrection of the dead. They thought it was impossible. They denied that it could take place. And so as they're hearing this, they want to say, no, 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 your message is supernatural. We deny that supernatural act of a future resurrection. It cannot jive with our rational intellectualism that it could be possible. Friends, oftentimes our, our message is an annoyance to people because it's supernatural. It doesn't fit with our modern scientific method about how we see the world. All illnesses can be cured with medications, right? I, I turn on my, my TV with a button on a remote control and it comes on. I, I can search information from all over the world through an internet stream, right? I, I could even grab something on my phone and Google something in a matter of moments. Everything can be explained with atoms and electrons and, and with science, right? And so for our, our world that we live in, the idea of a supernatural God creating things supernaturally and even sending his son, a, a man in the flesh who is also God, dying on a cross and rising from the dead just does not jive with what we think we know about the world. We think we've got it all figured out. We think that everything can be explained by natural explanations not supernatural reasons for a God who's created and who certainly is powerful enough to raise the dead. And so this message was an annoyance to the leaders because it was supernatural. But not only that, we also see that this message was an annoyance to them because it was exclusive. And I want to point you to uh, verses 11 through 12. It says this, Peter's uh, preaching to them and he says, this, is the, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You see, this message was not just supernatural. It was exclusive. It was exclusive. Listen to, the, listen to Peter's words again. There is salvation in no one else. Well, that's got to be a popular message in our day and age, right? A day that... That, that highlights and praises tolerance above all else and praise God that we live in a country that is tolerant, that we can worship here today uh, freely. Praise be to God for that. However, the, the Christian message is extremely exclusive. It's exclusive. Now, it's not exclusive about who can enter in, but is it exclusive about how... The means about how one can enter into the kingdom of God. How one can enter into God's family. It's through one name and one name alone. Jesus Christ the Lord. Now, I want to point you to an image that I'm sure you've seen uh, quite a bit, right? You've seen this image, uh, I'm sure, on bumper stickers and throughout all kinds of places. If you can't read it there, the word is spelled out, coexist with, with different symbols. And you've got different religious symbols representing Islam and Judaism and Christianity. And you've also got the Chinese uh, yin-yang philosophy. Uh, you've got equality with male-female and the peace symbol. And you've got a, even symbols of paganism there. Uh, but it's this idea that, that we're called to all coexist. Now, I, I appreciate the basic sentiment of that. Absolutely. There's no reason we should be hating and killing each other over religious differences. But this image, this philosophy, this idea goes much beyond that. It's to say that 
all religions are equally valid. And therefore, we should hold each other in equal regard in the sense that your philosophy and your religion is just as valid as my religion and my philosophy. What's good for you works for you. What's good for me works for me. Let's all just be at peace with one another. But friends, that's a, that's a pipe dream. That's a pipe dream. You see, the religions and, and the philosophies represented, even in this image, all claim exclusivity exclusivity. It's impossible to think that one can deny that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God, and another religion to affirm that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Some would even say there is a God. Others would say there is no God. And all these religions together, when you put them all together in a bowl or an idea or a philosophy, they cannot jive together. They contradict each other. And so even this kind of philosophy is as well-meaning it may seem on the most basic level, as you take it to its logical conclusion, you realize it's impossible. And Peter recognizes this. And he says, there is one God, there is one true God, and there is only one name by which we must be saved. You see, the message was exclusive. Acts 4.12, let's look at that again. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The message was exclusive, but it was also an invitation. You see, what we see all throughout the book of Acts, even though there's only one door, even though there's only one way, only one truth, only one life in Jesus, it is welcome to all. All who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. So while this message is exclusive regarding the one true God and the means by which humanity can be right with God again through Jesus Christ, it is inclusive. You see all the religions on that image that we just saw a moment ago, you've got to change your culture, you've got to change your background, you've got to change things about yourself in order to be welcomed into this religious philosophy. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says, yes, there's only one way, but that way is open to every man, woman, and child on the planet regardless regardless of race, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of background, this message is inclusive of all who call in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the only condition. The only condition. It's a gracious message. Since through the, the source of our acceptance into God's kingdom, though it's exclusive, the invitation is open to all. All who repent of their sin and believe shall be delivered. There are no exceptions. Friend, I want to tell you here today, if you've never come into God's family, maybe you've been coming and examining and investigating, but you think, you don't know my background. You don't know my history. You don't know my family ancestry. Oh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's exclusive. Yes, it's through Jesus Christ, but it's also open. It's inclusive to all who repent and believe in the name of Jesus Christ. You're not too far off here today. Today, friend, you're not too far off. If you come through the door, who is Jesus? He will welcome you with open arms. Praise be to God. And so we see that this message was a supernatural message. It was an exclusive message. And Jesus, before he ascended to heaven, he, he told his friends, look guys, you are going to face opposition. It's inevitable because of me and because of the message that I'm going to give to you. And some of the final words he had with him in John chapter 15, verses 18 to 21, Jesus says this. He says, if the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. 
If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Friends, Jesus told his disciples, and if it's true of them, if it was true of our master Jesus, if they hung him on a cross because of his words and because of his identity and his power and the fact that he's Lord, and if they would persecute and oppose his disciples, then they're going to persecute and oppose us too. Opposition is inevitable. It is inevitable. We heard that from just even the testimony from from Ian and Emma as they were traveling throughout North Africa and ministering to brothers and sisters in Jesus who are so few and such a minority in the city where they live to know that I'm following Jesus, but it could cost me so much. The opposition is there, and it's inevitable for those who follow Jesus Christ according to the, the words of Jesus. And so here we have it, the first sign of opposition for the disciples. Opposition is inevitable. I want to ask you, what, what about Christianity? What about the American church? What has what the last five years or the ten, last ten years revealed about the perception of Christianity and especially the evangelical church in our culture? Think about that. How do people that view us view Christians? How does your neighbor or a friend or a family member, what would they have to say about their impression of Christianity based upon what they see on TV, maybe what they encounter on social media, maybe what they see from coworkers or neighbors? Uh, A Barna study in 2019 uh, indicated that some of the top descriptors of evangelicals among non-Christians about evangelicals, uh, uh, that they were religiously conservative, that they were politically conservative, conservative, that they were narrow-minded and homophobic, and then others just said, I don't know. These are some of the top descriptors of evangelical Christians from just a few years ago. Imagine what it's like in 2022. What are we known for? What are we known for? Now, I said opposition is inevitable. Why? Because the message about Jesus Christ, the gospel, it's provocative. It's supernatural, and it's exclusive, but friends, I would, I would venture to say this. As we think about the inevitability of this opposition, we've got to ask ourselves, why are we being opposed? If you are facing opposition, why is it that you're being opposed? Is it because the messenger has been provocative or because the message is provocative? Friends, you see, we should have a balance. In some sense, we should be seen as some of the most loving, compassionate, caring, patient, listening people on the planet I wish some of those descriptors that, that, that they would know about me and that they would know about you and, and my family and, and our church here. If, if we were to take a survey of those who know Fairfax Bible Church from Fairfax and Fairfax County and the greater region, well, I hope they would say, well, I know they're loving, but boy, they've got a message that sure just really rattles my cage. I don't know if I can accept this Jesus. Or would they not even know our message at all, but they would know us to be a narrow-minded people? that they would know us just by our political positions, that they would know us just by what we're against rather than what we're for, especially we're for the gospel and we're for them. Friends, opposition is inevitable, but we shouldn't be walking around thinking to ourselves, I have a right to say provocative things and do whatever I want. If they don't like me, it's just persecution for the gospel's sake. Oh, God forbid it, friends. 
Let the message, let the edge of the gospel of Jesus Christ cut to our hearts and to the hearts of those whom we speak with. But oh, let us be seasoning that with grace of a lifestyle that's winsome and gracious and compassionate with those we seek to be in contact with. But opposition, it's inevitable, friends. Our message, it's exclusive. Our message is supernatural. Secondly, some hearts will respond to the gospel while other, while other hearts will be hard. Some hearts will respond while others will be hard. Take a look again at verses 3 through 4 of Acts chapter 4. It says this, And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Wow, in this room, what about 100 of us in this room? Can you imagine a room full of 5,000 people? And it says men. It could, it could imply that there were also women and children, or maybe that included the women and children as well. But we know 5,000, that's huge. We saw a huge revival just a, a few chapters before. In chapter 2, verses 40 to 41, it, it says this. With many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort the people, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to that that day about 3,000 souls. Now, was that 5,000 on top of that 3,000 already, or did the 5,000 compose the already 3,000? I don't know. We We don't know exactly, but we do know there were thousands of people that were putting their faith in Jesus Christ and being baptized. What a moment. What a moment. If you, if you love the gospel of Jesus, I, I, pray we, I pray that we pray for moments like that. Lord, let it be that, that we could see revival in our day. That people would be fervent for God. They'd be convicted about their sin and they'd turn to Jesus. I don't know what we do. I mean, I, recently Michelle was just hired as our, as our director of assimilation. Michelle, what would we do if we had to process 5,000 people into our small groups and into our ministries. I, I think our, our setup and teardown team would have more than enough volunteers, right? But we'd have people standing everywhere. But, but oh, that we'd pray for that. And there are moments where, where you will find in your conversations that people, their hearts are soft to the gospel, and we pray for that. But then you might be in regions like North Africa where so few are willing to receive the good news about Jesus Others, some will respond, but others will harden their hearts. They'll harden their hearts. Take a look at verses 8 through 10 of Acts chapter 4. It says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to the the rulers, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to you all and to all the people that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified whom God raised from the dead by him this man is standing before you well friends what we've got here is an indication that Peter and John are being arrested simply because they did a good deed to a man that needed it some receive the gospel with great fervor and great energy but others are willing to even oppose the good deeds that we do in the name of Jesus Christ While the message may provoke our good deeds and our character should not, Peter points out that the only accusation of those who harden their hearts to the gospel that could be brought against them was doing a good deed to a crippled man. The nerve, right? The nerve of giving man his ability to walk. 
This man was healed, we see in verse 9. And the word there is the same word that we see for salvation. The Greek word there for being saved. This man was healed or saved by the name of Jesus. This healing was a taste of the fuller healing and full salvation that comes through the name of Jesus Christ. And some were excited to receive it. Their hearts were softened and ready to receive the gospel. What we see from these leaders that their hearts would, were hard. Why? Didn't they, did they need more evidence? Did they need more uh, convincing? Take a look at verses 14 to 16 again. It says this, But seeing the man who was healed, the the religious leaders, they were uh, standing beside them. They had nothing to say in opposition. They opposed Peter and John, but they had nothing to say. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another. They got a a secret moment where they could be kind of candid. And what did they say? What shall we do to these men? For with a notable, that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. We cannot deny it. The leaders couldn't admit that Jesus is who he says he is. Why? Was it intellectually impossible? Uh, did they not have enough evidence? Did they need more proof? Did they need more convincing? Friends, the proof was right in front of their eyes, and they said, we cannot deny the evidence. So why were their hearts hard while others were softened and excited to receive the gospel? What was the issue? We see it in verse 17. But in order that it, meaning this movement, this gospel message, this proclamation, that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Ah, now we're getting a little bit of a clue here, right? We don't want this message that they're proclaiming to spread among the people. We want them to listen to us. We want to have the control over the crowds, not these uneducated guys from Galilee, these fishermen. We want to have the authority. We want to have the control. We want to have the power. Verse 7 also says uh, the very first question that they ask isn't, hey, how did this happen to this man? We want to know so that we can experience this kind of power. No, in verse 7, their question, when they questioned Peter and John, uh, when they set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Who, what gives you the right? Who do you think you are? They're asking Peter and John. See, the issue wasn't the evidence. The issue wasn't the proof. The issue was authority. The issue was power. Who had the right to do these things? The religious leaders believed that they had the authority and they were unwilling to give it up. You see, this is one of the provocative things about the gospel of Jesus. You see, the truth about Jesus strips us of our authority and forces us to submit to God's authority, to the authority and lordship and kingship of Jesus. These leaders, they, they needed the control. And this is the issue for those who reject the gospel. Some receive it or some are hardened to it. Why? Because they do not want to give up the control and the authority that they think that they have over our li- their lives. The doubts expressed over a lack of evidence are just excuses to mask the truth. Friends, we're born this way. You were born this way. I was born this way. People want to have control and authority over their own lives. And to accept Christianity as viable, to accept Christianity as possible, is not just to be intellectually convinced, but it's actually to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Jesus as Lord. 
Our hearts don't naturally give up that power. If you're a parent, we've got a lot of new parents in the room, those that are just holding their babies in their arms. But, but if you've raised any babies to become toddlers and beyond that, preschoolers and elementary age and even teenagers, you'll find out they don't love authority, right? Amen? We don't love authority, and that comes out, and we think, where did they learn that from? Oh, they learned it from you, Mom. They learned it from you, Dad. You gave it to them. It's in their hearts, this nature that says, I don't want to be ruled. And the message of Christianity says that there is forgiveness and grace and hope through the gospel of Jesus when you turn from being your own boss and acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior these religious leaders, they did not want to give up the control. They did not want to give up the power. They wanted to be God. Maybe you're here today and you thought to yourself, I just need a little more evidence. I just need a little more proof. I just need to hear a voice from God telling me that this Bible is true and that Jesus is truly the Son of God. And maybe if I hear that or see that or see some sort of miracle, maybe then I will come to faith in Jesus. There's a story in Luke chapter 16. I don't have time to read it all for you today, but I think you see it up there. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. And Jesus gives the story of two men, a rich man and another man that we get his name, Lazarus. And we see that Lazarus is going to this rich man and begging that he could just get a little bit of food to eat from his table. And this man, this rich man, just like shrubs him off, right? Just says, get out of here. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Well, they both die, and we find that the rich man, who was not generous, that was hard-hearted, he finds himself in the place of Hades, the, the holding tank for, for those who die and go to Sheol and, and those who are suffering because they did not accept and honor God. And, and yet we see Lazarus, who's this poor man, and yet we don't know, we didn't see that his faith in God, but we do know that he had faith in God. Why? Because he's in Abraham's bosom. And Lazarus, he, he's, or excuse me, the rich man, he's, he's calling out to Abraham there and he sees Lazarus there at Abraham's bosom and he sees him there and he says, you know, please give me some cool water to put on my tongue and, and give me some relief or at the very least send me back so that I could go back and tell my loved ones or even send Lazarus back to go tell my loved ones about the truth of what happened happens in the afterlife and Jesus is giving this whole story to show the hardness of the human heart and we find in Luke chapter 16 verse 31 says this Jesus said or excuse me Abraham said to this rich man if they do not hear Moses and the prophets neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead Someone rising from the dead. This rich man is asking, please send me back. Send Lazarus back. Give us, give us life again and I'll come back to this place. I just want to go tell my friends about what's happening here in this place of torment. If they will not listen to the word, even if a dead man were to raise before them, they would not listen to him. Friends, I'm telling you, there's no miracle that will convince you. What will convince you is when you recognize and see that Jesus is is Lord. The issue is an intellectual issue about the gospel of Jesus. The issue is a moral issue of the heart. We do not want to be ruled. That's why our hearts are hard. Some hearts will respond to the gospel while other hearts will be hard. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 15 to 16, the apostle Paul writes this, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. 
To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Friends, as we go around and, and we, we live on mission and as we experience opposition, as we go and proclaim this good news about Jesus Christ, for some, they'll smell that. If the metaphor fits, they'll smell that and they'll see it and they'll hear it and they'll say, mm, that is a sweet message to me. As we saw thousands came to faith in Jesus Christ and were saved. But to others, that message, that gospel message, even if they had a dead man come back and speak to them, they would reject it because that message to them is an aroma of death. Something that they despise and hate and want nothing to do with. We need to recognize this. As we live on mission, with the mission comes opposition. We must understand that when we go out, we're going to speak to some. We're going to speak to others. Some will receive it with gladness. Some will receive it with hard hearts. But the issue of all of our hearts is not intellectual. It's a moral issue. Submitting to the Lordship of Jesus. Finally, and our third point in closing is this. Allegiance to Jesus must supersede all other allegiances. Again, with the mission comes opposition, but allegiance to Jesus must supersede all other allegiances. Take a look at verses 18 to 20 of Acts chapter 4 again. It says this. So they called to them, the, the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, they called to them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now, we must understand these guys had the highest place of authority under the Romans. They were in charge of the temple. They were in charge of all, all the religion of Judaism. But listen to what Peter does. He says this in verse 19. Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we've seen and what we've heard. He tells them, Peter and John say, hey, you know what, guys? You may be telling us that we can't do this any longer, but we have to tell you something. While you have authority, our allegiance belongs to someone higher than you. Our loyalty belongs to someone higher than you. Our devotion belongs to someone greater and more powerful and more worthy of our devotion than even you. You have a lot of power. You have a lot of authority. But our allegiance primarily in our hearts belongs to one and one alone. And that is God and his son, Jesus Christ. Later on in, in chapter 5, we're going to see it in a few weeks, in, in verses 27 to 29, Peter and John again are before the exact same people. And, and these leaders, they bring it up to them again. In verse 27 of Acts 5, it says, When they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. You know, did Peter and John get scared in that moment? Listen to what they say. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Did the apostles stop? Should they have stopped? Now, it's appropriate to obey authority. But in this moment, Peter and John are showing something absolutely crucial to living on mission, especially when opposition comes our way. It's this, allegiance to Jesus must supersede all other allegiances. See, the issue for Peter and John in this moment, in this moment, this decisive moment, would they continue on in the mission or would they stop? It's this. Who do they fear? Who do they fear? 
You know, when you think about living for God, we think about living out the mission. In just a few moments, we're going to close out our service, as we always do. There's going to be a charge and a challenge to you and to me and to all of us together to love Christ and to live sent. And the order of that, I think, is so incredibly vital because before we could ever live sent, we must be sure in our hearts and our minds, do I love Christ first and foremost above all other loves? Because friends, if we're put in this moment, if we're put in this moment of decision to say, you cannot speak the gospel anymore. You cannot choose to live that way anymore. You can't choose to stand for things that Jesus would stand for because it flies in the face of what we believe is right and good in our culture. If it comes to a moment where you gotta choose, you gotta ask yourself, who do you love more than anything? Who, to whom are you devoted more than anything? Who has your allegiance? Who has your loyalty? Whom do you fear? Do you fear what humanity could do to you? Do you fear being punished? Do you fear being put in prison? Do you fear, be, fear being mocked and ridiculed? Friends, if we bow the knee to those fears, we show where our devotion and our allegiance and our loyalty truly is. But Peter and John said, Guys, listen, we, we can't stop speaking about what we've seen and heard because we believe we're doing exactly what God wants us to do and he has our allegiance. The resurrection hope of Jesus gives believers unstoppable boldness. It's not our good that drives us, it's his good. It's our allegiance to one who is good, who is mighty, who's powerful, and he leads us into any opposition we may face. He says, I'm with you, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. You could give all your devotion and all your loyalty to me. You see, I believe in this moment in Acts chapter 4, we see, that, uh, we see that Peter and John stand up. The same Peter that denied Jesus Christ three times is now standing up and saying, my allegiance belongs to him wholeheartedly. And that's our big idea again. With the mission comes opposition. With the mission comes opposition. Opposition is inevitable. Some will receive the good news with, with, with glad, soft hearts. Others will reject it with hard hearts. But allegiance to Jesus must supersede all other allegiances. Jesus is fulfilling a promise that he gave his disciples. In Luke chapter 21, verses 12 to 19, Jesus, he foretold about this moment right here that we're reading about in Acts 4. And Luke brings it up again in Acts. Uh, but in Luke 21, 12 to 19, it says, Before all this, they... Those who oppose you will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity. Your opportunity. When you're opposed, friends, don't see it as something negative. See it as an opportunity to do what? To bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand off how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. That's what we heard from, from Ian and Emma. They, they were ministering to people that were rejected by family and friends and those in their community. Why? Because they named the name of Jesus Christ. But there's a promise that Jesus said. He said, not a hair of your head 
will perish, but by your endurance, you will gain your lives. There's a hope that Jesus gives to his people that goes beyond any opposition, any threat that anybody could give to us today pales in comparison with the hope that we have in Jesus. Therefore, we can give him all of our allegiance. What does this mean for Monday? What does this mean for tomorrow and the day after and the day after that and for next week? What does this mean for you and I that live in, frankly, a Western culture that doesn't feel and experience that much persecution and that much opposition yet? What does this mean for us? I did an interview of a man that was a a pastor in the Philippines, and then he was sent off as a missionary to the Middle East. And he was there and And he knew going into it as a pastor and as a missionary and as a preacher, he knew that preaching the gospel in the place where he was would be faced with opposition. And one day he finally got arrested for some of the materials that he was uh, handing out. And uh, as I interviewed this man, he was just talking about, his name is Fernando Alconga, one of my favorite people back in California. Uh, Just a sweet man. And he talked about just the threats that he felt, the fears that he was even feeling tempted to, uh, uh, that he was experiencing while there in prison in the Middle East. And and it's such a sweet story because during that time when he was there, he and his wife celebrated the 36th anniversary. And and he talks about how, how all that they could do between them was have a piece of glass and they put their hands on the glass and just loved each other in that moment. That's the closest that they could get on their anniversary. Could you imagine Could you imagine spending time in prison, not because you've done a crime, but because you've simply done a good deed in sharing good news? But Fernando, he he goes on to describe how he was there and he didn't know what would happen to him, but eventually they let him go. And and he found great favor according to the grace and mercy of God. We know that many that are put in prison, they don't get to experience that by God's providence. Uh, God has other good plans for them. But he was able to get out. And and I asked him, I said, so you know, what what were some of the things that you just thought about in that moment? How can we support those who are being persecuted around the world? He said this. He referred to an interview that he had uh, read about in in the book called The Insanity of God. The Insanity of God. And, And he says this. Uh, some, those that are being, uh, living in uh, countries where they're persecuted, they, they asked them, they, said, they asked the question, now, if you could prefer to be taken out of your context and put in a place like the United States of America, would you choose to go there so that you could uh, escape this religious persecution, this persecution for simply being a follower of Jesus? And they said this, this struck me. They said this, no, 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 we would never trade places with them because what we've heard The testimonies that we've heard about those that live in free countries and places like America is that they deal with issues like coldness of heart, lukewarmness, apathy. And so we'd rather stay in this place because we are in full dependence upon God and we have to have our full allegiance given to him every single moment of our lives. So while it would be nice to not have to face this persecution on a daily basis, we don't want to be put in a place where our hearts can become cold. Friends, that's a challenge for us. Living in such a free nation, our allegiance to Jesus is put to the test not by persecution primarily, not by opposition primarily, but by simply saying, does anybody care at all? Do I care that I'm a follower of Jesus? Does it make any difference in my life? Jesus deserves all of our allegiance The default of the apostles was that they had to speak about the good news of Christ. The good news for you and for me 
isn't that we get to go face opposition, though it's inevitable. That's not good news. The good news for us is that this message is worth talking about. The thing for which we could be opposed is worth everything. We could be willing to take punishment, even punishment that we don't deserve. Why? Because the worst that we could face in this life is the wrath of man. But we've got one. You've got one, friend. I've got one that's gone before us and faced the wrath of God for us. And he's appeased it fully. We have one who's taken away God's wrath so that we could say, I'm willing to be punished even unjustly because I'm looking to the one who was chastised and punished for me. I want to ask you today, have you encountered the one about whom we cannot but speak? The one that can't keep our mouths silent because he's too good, he's too wonderful, he's too loving, he's too compassionate. Have you considered how much he has done for you, the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the key to becoming bold about the mission. That's the way to be unstoppable in this mission. Even when opposition comes to us, we look to the one who didn't let anything stop him on his road to the cross to take the punishment that you and I deserved so that we can follow in his steps. And he's promised us a home of glory, being with him forever and ever. That makes us willing to face punishment and opposition even when we don't deserve it. Have you encountered this one? Have you come into a, a relationship with this one who's worth giving up everything for? The one who deserves your allegiance above all else. The one who is Jesus Christ, the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that Jesus is good. He's kind. He's wonderful. He's gracious. He's beautiful. Oh, we look to you today, Lord. Open our eyes that we would continue to see how wonderful Jesus is and that we as a people, as a, as a church, as Fairfax Bible Church, that we would be willing to submit to this good Savior, the one who was punished for us. Father, if there's any of us in here that have been facing opposition, facing even persecution, oh, I pray that we would be resolved to say, I follow Jesus with all my heart. I will not stop speaking about him because he's too good. He's too beautiful. He's too wonderful. Father, for those of us in our family, around the world, our spiritual family, uh, who are suffering today, maybe imprisonment, maybe ridicule, maybe persecution. Father, wherever they may be, I pray that you would strengthen their hearts today. Strengthen their resolve to say, I'm committed to Jesus. Give them great hope. Give them great peace. Let them not forget they're a part of a, a global family that cares about them and loves them. But more importantly, they're a part of the family of God who, who has a father that loves them and an elder brother who's given his life for them. Oh, I pray. Lord Jesus, would you have our allegiance above all other allegiances this morning?